Well, good morning. <clears throat> it's uh, certainly good to be here. Um, this morning we'll be continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be covering part two of chapter seven. And um, just as Jake was, was talking about the Mexico missions trip, which is coming up October 13th through the 15th, um, we do have these tickets, and it's all by donation. We're, there's no suggested donation. Um, sometimes, you know, that's placed on the tickets, but we decided not to do that. Um, just because whatever it is that the Lord lays on your heart, um, that's exactly what, um, you know, should be given. And, and nothing more, nothing less. And so God loves a cheerful giver. And so we give not out of compulsion, but because we know that it's something that the Lord is working in and through. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, not only uh, continuing to pray for the team that's going down to Mexico, but also to um, pray for them as they're there and uh, hear what it is that the Lord does um, through them uh, on that weekend. So again, purchase your tickets today, and next Sunday we will enjoy some nice taco plates. Anybody not like taco plates? I need to pray for you. No. <laughs> All right, so we are again in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be covering... Uh, verses 12 through 23, so from verse 12 all, all the way through, um, basically several sections that are very critical to the teaching of the Lord. He's coming to a close as far as the Sermon on the Mount, and um, it just, it's just amazing. If you think about the whole situation, the scene, how it is that he's sitting down and his disciples have come to him, they're all gathered around and they're listening to him teach. Now, the title of this morning's message is Enter by the Narrow and Discern the Wolves. So, Enter by the Narrow and Discern the Wolves. I was thinking about this, um, the fact and the truth of the matter is, is that the Lord sees all things. He's always in all places at all times, and He's all-powerful. So, we go to Him with everything. And growing up, I... I used to spend um, at least a couple of weeks out of the summer with my grandfather in Santa Barbara. And I remember the last time that I went. I went with my cousin, and we, we spent a couple weeks there. And um, growing up, I used to, well, I, I still do. I guess I'm still growing up. Um, I like animals. And so it was like all kinds of animals. And one of the types of animals that I like are snakes. Any of you like snakes? Ew. <laughs> right? Most of you would say that. My dad would say that. Um, but um, my grandfather would always tell me to catch and release. So catch them and then let them go. But on this one occasion, I just it's hard for me to do that. Right? I want to grab them and keep them and feed them and care for them. And, and uh, so... I found this huge snake. It was, it was a gopher snake. Beautiful snake. And so I had to catch it. It was just me and my cousin that were out there. We were taking a walk. And I found the snake and I caught it. And I'm telling you, it was probably like at least six feet long. You know, it was just a, a huge one. And if you know snakes, that's big for a gopher snake. So I took it back to his house. I found something to put him in. And I kept him for the time that we were there. And then I found a jar that he could fit into. And he made it in there. And I screwed the top on If you've ever seen like a jar completely filled, that was it with this snake. A six-foot snake in a, in a jar about that big. It was pretty amazing. I was very proud of him. And I put him into my suitcase because I was taking him home. Now, at this point, my grandfather did not know a thing, right? And we were both, me and my cousin, we were afraid that he was going to find out. He was going to make me, like, take it and let it go. Like, no, you can't do that, right? He's going to Riverside. He's not staying in Santa Barbara. <laughs> so he took us to the Greyhound bus terminal because we, that's the way we were going home. And, with the, and I was still afraid. I was sitting there in the seat looking at him. And uh, as my grandfather waved at us as we were leaving, 
And it wasn't until we were like going and on the road and he was out of sight that I was like, oh, he didn't, he didn't catch it. He didn't know a thing, right? And then so we got home and I get this phone call. We, we get this uh, phone call, my parents, you know, and, and it's my grandfather. And he just wants to check and make sure that we made it home okay, that everything was good. And um, at that point, he asked my dad, I just want to know, did that snake make it home okay? (laughs) I didn't know this conversation was going on between my father and my grandfather, right? Until my dad hung up the phone and he said, hey, I just, I mean, the snake made it home safe and sound and it was under my bed, right? And then my dad said, Where's the snake? I'm like, what snake? Right? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and he said, the snake that you caught in Santa Barbara that you brought home. And I thought, you know, it's, it was one of those moments to where I thought, how? How? I mean, I hit it so well. I mean, I never saw him go into my room. I never saw him open up my suitcase. I never saw him look at any of that, right? But he knew. Somehow he knew. It was like, it was scary. It was really scary. And it made me think of, you know, obviously, you know, he did somehow find out. Uh, maybe someone told him as he, someone maybe saw me catch the snake and didn't put it back. Um, I don't know what it was, but he, he found out. Here's the truth, though, is that the Lord knows everything about us. There's nothing that's hidden from his sight. Nothing at all. And even though we may think that things are hidden, that he doesn't know the depths of our hearts, he knows every single thing, and he's interested in all of those details of our lives. He's interested. Not to condemn us, but hopefully to convict us of our sins and then to bring us to that place of confession and asking the Lord to forgive us. That means we repent of that and we turn from our sins. It's for that purpose. Sometimes we can even come into church and feel like, oh, immediately, okay, we're in the presence of some holy people. And it's like, no, we're, we're working out our own situations just like you, every single one of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. And even in that, God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Come to that place where we just simply agree with God. Ask Him for forgiveness and continue to walk with Him. So, He desires that. As Jesus is looking upon His disciples in, that, in this time to where He's teaching them, He's not looking at, at them with condemning eyes. Not with a condemning heart but with a heart full of compassion. He's telling them about this narrow gate, about the golden rule. He's warning them about false prophets and how it is that you would know if you yourself would not be known by Him. He's teaching them all of these things. And Jesus spoke with absolute perfect wisdom. What man has perverted, Jesus corrected and clarified the standard that was established from the very beginning of time. What we have before us is a section of Scripture that is very familiar to the world and to the church. This is nothing new to us here. We've all heard this being taught at some point or heard of it. The golden rule is known by all. It's common knowledge. The narrow gate is often referenced to when presenting the gospel. The wolves in sheep's clothing. Who hasn't heard about that? It's often spoken about within the church, but rarely, I believe, today is discerned correctly or it's dismissed and not specifically applied to people or groups for fearing of being shunned and considered divisive by mainstream evangelical Christianity. And then, there are some who will one day say, Lord Lord, but the Lord will respond with to some, I never knew you. I never knew you. Well, the question is, who are they? 
And why is it that they will not enter into the presence of the Lord? I believe that those are great questions that we should come and desire to understand and know ourselves. These are all subjects we will be covering this morning. They are, I believe, important subjects that we need to clearly and fully understand. And Jesus taught on these subjects not because he was just passing the time. Hey, guys, I have a little bit of time on my hands. Let's go. I'm going to sit down for a moment. I'm tired. Gather around me. I'm just going to share a few things with you. No, no, no. This is all purposeful. It was God's perfect plan. And he was teaching these things to his disciples because they were important. And I pray that we understand what it means to do unto others as we wish others to do unto us. What it means to enter through the narrow gate and that we discern the wolves and do not get deceived and entangled into following false prophets because we know, as the word tells us, that will lead us into destruction. And so with that, let's pray and let's go into our verses here. Father, we thank you that you do know all things and that you do not look at us with condemning eyes, but with loving eyes, wishing that we would pay attention, that we would hear your word above all else. We would apply it to our lives. We would bless you and know eternal life in the Son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray that we would Listen this morning to your tone of compassion, to your tone of warning your children with a love and a desire that we would steer away from those things that lead us to destruction and instead choose this day whom we will serve and whom we will follow. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, give us understanding. And help us to see you for who you are in our lives. We know that we love because you first loved us. Help us see that this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about the golden rule. In verse 12, it says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So we start out with the golden rule. One verse, verse 12. This is a very logical a very applicable, a very desirable, and a very understandable commandment. But when it's broken down, and we are personally evaluated by it, we really find ourselves falling short of truly fulfilling it. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. In AD 20, Rabbi Hillel was asked a question by a Gentile to summarize the law, and this was his response. Quote, What is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. Well, that's the, the negative, right? Jesus brought the positive side of it, but this was the negative side. And was it the same thing that Jesus taught? Kind of on the surface, it looks like it, right? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. So hold your place there, and let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Verse 31 is where we're going to start, and I just want to read through. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me food. I was thirsty, and you gave Me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed Me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? 
And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I know we're... Mostly familiar with that as well, that passage. And I want to ask you, after reading through that, if we applied just what Rabbi Hillel had stated, would the goats not have made it into heaven? If we had applied that standard. I mean, they didn't cause any harm, but neither did they do good. Would, Would we have... Would, would they have passed? Would they have had passage into heaven? And I believe the answer to that, if we just ignored the command of Jesus, that yes, they would have made it into heaven. But Jesus makes the command much wider and broader, doesn't he? It isn't just the harm that you hold back from doing unto others that's required. But it's also doing good towards others. That is something that is expected and something that is commanded of Christians. We may not speed. I'm not speaking of myself. Because unfortunately I have a a lead foot. But we may not speed, right? Some people may observe the speed limits, the laws of the land. But what happens as we come across someone who is in need on the side of the road? And we fail to pull over and lend them a hand. We're not breaking the law, right? We're not speeding. We make a complete stop at the light and at the stop signs and... We don't do those California stops and we put on our blinkers and we wait uh, the required distance in order to change lanes. By the way, we speed up when we change lanes, okay? I'm just putting that out there. Okay? We don't slam our brakes and then cut in front of someone. Just saying. But we may observe all the laws and yet fail in this one area of helping that person on the side of the road that's in need and fail altogether. That's called the sin of omission. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Many people will say, Well, at least I'm not a... And fill in the blank, right? Well, at least I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a liar. And pretty much I leave people alone to do whatever they want to do. They don't bother me. I don't bother them. I'm like, I just live to myself. But the question is, according to this verse, is do you serve others who are in need? Some will quote Romans twelve eighteen out of context. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Kind of like just hands off. I live at peace, me and my family don't bother nobody they don't bother me they do what they want to do i'm just here what they mean is live and let live what others do or don't do is up to them and i'll just mind my own business again that sounds good on the surface but that also neglects the command to do good to others Again, James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, 
What good is that? I love James, right? He's just like up front. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is it's dead, right? It's it's dead. There's no fruit. There's no evidence that you have any faith. There's also the story of the Good Samaritan. We won't go there, but you can jot down Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Who is that Good Samaritan? And who does he consider to be a neighbor? Well, the answer is anyone who is in need. That show mercy to them. Do good to them. And if a person would keep this one command, then Jesus is saying the law and the prophets would be fulfilled. Right? What does this mean? It means that if we observe this one command that Jesus gave here in this verse, verse 12 of chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, we would fulfill everything that has to do with God's law pertaining to relationships. That's it. Everything is summed up in this verse. Just one verse. Can you imagine a world like this? We come across someone in need, and we have something to give, something of of us, you know, to give to them, to help them. And we just help them out. That would be a different world. Now, this is easy to understand, right? You guys understand that. It's pretty simple. But it's difficult to obey. Because we're selfish. We're self-centered. And even though we know this golden rule, we don't always walk it out. Because sometimes it's inconvenient. It requires sacrifice. It requires us to go out of our way to fulfill this very law right here. This command by the Lord. Let's talk about the narrow gate. In chapter, in verses 13 and 14, Jesus continued his teaching, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Uh, now, personally... If you guys want to know how I study, sometimes I just draw pictures. <laughs> I'm not an artist, so. Um, it has one little gate, one big gate, and I just stuck in there different words uh, that pertain to what Jesus taught here. Destruction, the path, one easy, one hard, many people in one lane, few in the other. And it just kind of gives me an idea, you know, just like, Looking at it, I was thinking of words that would describe, you know, phrases that would describe the, the wide gate and the easy path. And those who go through it are many. Things like path of least resistance came to mind. Go with the flow. To each their own. Live and let live. Don't buck the system. Tolerance. Majority rules. Compromise, as long as you're happy, as long as you're happy. Those things just came to mind. And Jesus was stating in a few words what he taught his disciples at other times with more specific words. The way of Christ is not a path that doesn't require thinking, seeking God's wisdom, growing, learning what's right and what's wrong. Learning what pleases God. And what does not please God, how to serve others, how to truly worship God, as well as knowing opposition, discerning the faults, all of these things, on and on and on. Now, the life of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus Christ, is not an easy life. It requires us to truly trust in the Lord. Because when we walk according to the Spirit, when we walk according to the Word of God... We come upon opposition. There's a battle that we know is happening in the spiritual realm, and it manifests itself in the physical, right before our eyes. I've seen some things to where it's like, where did this come from? What is this? Two nails in a tire in one day? And I'm pointing to Richard because someone, something was trying to keep him from coming to the leadership 
meeting on Friday. But he overcame. And he got there. He brought the two screws. Yeah, like big. And he put them on the table and he, he said, this is what happened. And he explained to us the, the whole story. And it's like, wow. Have you guys ever come across things like that to where it's like, this is just wild. Listen, if the world agrees with you and there is no opposition, friction, division, then kind of think again. You might be on that wide path. And Jesus doesn't want you to be on that wide path. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates, you know that it has hated me. These are the specific times with more specific words that Jesus taught his disciples. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. In John, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. More specifically, regarding Paul. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, that is Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul knew beforehand. Can you imagine if, if the Lord would make a, you aware of all the suffering and things that you will endure for his name's sake beforehand? How many people would bow out of Christianity? It's like, hey, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> no th- thanks, but no thanks, Right? No, he doesn't, he doesn't give it to us all up front. The Apostle Paul was ready for that. I believe a lot of people today are not ready for that. We're so soft. We're, you know, just put us in our safe room and give us teddy bears and tell us nice things. Man, this culture, you know, what we're producing is sometimes pathetic. Christians ought to have spines, internal fortitude, we need to be built up in the Lord. We need to have this conviction just as Paul did. Because we need to be ready at the time that persecution does come to stand up in the truth, to be steadfast in Christ, and to continue to move forward and gain ground for the kingdom. The wide gate. Number one, it's easy, no resistance, widely accepted, and even encouraged. Secondly, it leads to destruction. This is the wide gate. Many find it and enter by it. There's a lot of people going through it. And it's easy. It's wide. The narrow gate. Well, it's hard. There's resistance. Not accepted and encouraged by many. But it leads to life. And few find it and enter by it. In John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Jesus said, I am the door. What do you say? Church, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, no other way, by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Destruction. That is the end result of going through the wide gate. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came to save, to give life, and he is the way and the door. There is no other way. There is no other door. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. The question is, do you believe this? This is Jesus speaking to Martha before he raised Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus, on this hill, was telling his disciples, 
Pay attention. Come closer. Listen to what I'm telling you. Enter in through the narrow gate. Pay attention to what path you're on. Because there's only one gate, there's only one path that leads to eternal life. The other one leads to death and destruction, and he was warning them. So he's telling them, choose wisely and have full knowledge. Too many people have full knowledge and they're still just not there. I I don't fully want to receive it. There's no full surrender. Because Christianity, it's not anything that we do other than surrender. It's all it is. We try and do things in our own effort, and it's just, it's just surrender. Let's talk about false prophets, because that's where Jesus goes to next. Beware of false prophets, verse 15, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Another warning that Jesus is giving his disciples. Did you know that 80% of cults are made up of previous evangelical Protestants? 80%. And I believe those are old numbers. They're in Kingdoms of the Cults. Kingdom of the Cults by Dr. Walter Martin. If you don't have that book, it's a fantastic reference, and I believe that every one of you should have that book. Let's talk about a few. We only have time for a few. Did you know that Jehovah's Witnesses deny the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and instead claim that he was raised a divine spirit being or as an invisible spirit creature? Did you know that Jehovah's Witnesses deny that the blood shed by Jesus on the cross was sufficient and complete atonement for the complete forgiveness of our sins? They believe that the work is half God's and half man's. And that the work will not be fully complete until the survivors of Armageddon return to God through free will and become subject to the theocratic rule of Jehovah. They believe that Jesus is a God. A God. And they believe that there is no hell, but only death and extinction. Um, read more. We don't have time for that. I'm just putting these out. Not all. Listen, I know it's been said, all roads lead to God, right? That's actually true. All men will. All roads do lead to God. Some for judgment. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. But others will have this judgment for those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. They'll be judged. And everything they thought, everything they spoke, everything they did, will either endure the fire or it will not. It will be to our benefit really or treasure that we would cast before the Lord and worship him with that or not but not to condemnation did you know that Mormons believe that Jesus was the firstborn of God the father and Lucifer was his brother did you guys know that maybe you did did you know that Mormons believe that in the beginning the head of the gods called a council of gods to gather, and they came up with a plan to create the world and people in it. These are all teachings by, by Joseph Smith. It's well documented. It's all, it's all written out. There, there's references to all of this. Did you know that Mormons believe that God was once as we are now and is, is simply an exalted man? These, again, are all teachings of Joseph Smith. And they can all be looked up. There's something I just recently put on my Facebook page, and it was this video about what everyone should know, all Christians should know, when a Mormon comes to their door. I'd never seen this particular woman comment on anything that I post, nothing at all. And all of a sudden, it's like, boom, I don't even remember what she said. 
but she was obviously highly offended, and apparently she was a Mormon. But this is these things; those things were not not truth. It was the truth. It was just it's not universal salvation. It's not you know the Lord never told us to be tolerant of everything. In fact, if we read what we're going through today, there's actually a lack of tolerance. We need to be aware of these things. There are people who teach and lead us down a path of destruction. We need to be aware of these things and not join with them, not be in company with them. And I'm just pointing out a couple things here, a couple cults that take you down that path of destruction. But there are more subtle and dangerous and ravenous wolves dressed in sheep's clothing among us. They may even think that they are sheep. But give them time, their fruit will be evident. They separate unto themselves. Their fruit is destructive to the church because it's bad. I've seen seen them. They come in and out of churches and their trail is one of destruction, always coming in like as if they're good and seeking to fellowship and be a part of the church only to leave at some point because of a silly issue and make others discontent and actually take them with them. I see that. Been in ministry long enough and it happens over and over. Don't be fooled. Be sound in your understanding of Scripture. Know the truth. Stand in it. By the way, ravenous means extremely hungry. Insatiable appetite, looking to devour and fill themselves. Pay attention to their manner of living. Is it righteous? Is there humility? Is there faithfulness evident in the way they live? Pay attention to what they teach. Is it truly God-centered or out of context? Or is it man-centered? Does it neglect the whole counsel of God for fear of offending man? Does it serve to only tickle the ears and serve up what sounds good? There's a lot of stuff that sounds good, but you need to know the truth in order to identify the faults. Pay attention to the people around them. Are they simply enjoying themselves because they are being entertained or they are growing in or are they growing in Jesus maturing genuinely being challenged sharpened and even held accountable there's always a red flag when someone will refuse to be held accountable did you know that the jehovah's witness if you challenge any of their leadership they will put you out they'll put you out do not challenge anything that the jw's teach nothing You can challenge me. You can challenge any of the leadership here. And we will always go back to the Word and we will take a look at it together. You can. But we need to make sure that we understand one thing, and that is that the Word of God is our authority. Whatever He says in proper context is exactly where we'll land. If we're wrong, fine, we're wrong. And we will correct, and we will go down that path. Now, Paul learned Jesus' lesson well. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30, he says to the Ephesians, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He was warning them. The elders of the church in Ephesus is warning them. Now, notice a few things here. Not only are we to inspect the life fruit of a pastor, a teacher, but also a fellow Christian to know if it's good or bad. We're not judging them to condemnation, but we certainly should keep our eyes open and see, observe, you know, what's the fruit? What is there? Because we certainly don't want to become entangled. We want to encourage and we want to build each other up. 
but we do not want to be entangled with a false believer. We want to lead them. Is it good or bad fruit? But also, here's one thing that Jesus said, is there any fruit at all? Good or bad? There's nothing on that tree. Like nothing there. I I, I don't know. (laughs) I can't tell you. Even the tree that may be a good tree but is not bearing anything is good for the fire is what Jesus said. Not my words. Jesus taught this because it's not producing what it should be producing. I would say at certain points that would be very convicting to us. It's not one way or the other. It's just we're not producing anything. And Jesus is saying that there should be basically no spectator Christians, no dormant Christians. Christians' lives should be producing fruit consistent with righteousness in Christ. So all these things, Jesus is warning his disciples, these people will come in and their appetite is for destruction of the people of God. For you, they're going after you. And you will be able to identify them by their fruit or the lack thereof. Jesus has taught on the golden rule, the narrow gate, warned about the wide gate, the false prophets, and lastly tells us that there are some we think are doing the Lord's work, but are actually not. The workers of lawlessness. The last portion here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty mighty works In your name, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, keep in mind that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. This is a warning to make sure their faith and their serving God is genuine. These people called on the Lord, saying, Lord, Lord. But Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Sounding like a Christian doesn't get you into heaven. Once you know the lingo, you learn the lingo, it's called Christianese, that won't do it. Someone tells you something at work and you say, Amen, praise the Lord. Like, that won't get you into heaven. You're like, wow, you're so religious. These people will do religious works in the name of the Lord and yet not be known by the Lord? These aren't just small things either. Like, you know, a good thing here and there. Let me ask you something. Are you fooled and impressed by mighty things that people do in the name of the Lord? Think about that. You see them and take them at face value. You know, you're, you're clapping along with the thousands, tens of thousands of other Christians. Why? Because you just see them, like on the surface. That's awesome. You must be absolutely holy and righteous, and you are so good, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to believe everything you say. Careful. Careful with that. Because apparently that's not the litmus test of salvation. Christian works doesn't get you into heaven. Jesus said, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That day speaks of a day of judgment or the day of judgment. Jesus, by the way, is the judge, as we, is what we see here. On that day, many will say to me, verse 22. And in verse 23, he says, And then I will declare to them, He is the judge. What's amazing is, let's just return to the scene. Who is sitting before the disciples but the one who is a suffering servant who has come to die for them and is telling them the one who sits before you and is teaching these things to you is also going to be on that day your judge. But that judge also went to the cross willingly for the joy that was before him. 
the very people who would deny him and reject him. The very people who were his enemies at the time. For God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the end, miracles is what we see here. Mighty works, they prove absolutely nothing. But the only thing that will count eternally is a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanships, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. First comes salvation, grace, by grace through faith. It is a work that's already completed and finished on the cross for you and I. And what should be a consequence or a result of that? Our response is that we understand that we are God's workmanship. And our proper response is to live for Him in His glory. Who is the one who will gain entrance to heaven? That's the question that we need to answer. That is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven as Jesus spoke. That's interesting because you would think that prophesying, casting out demons, and doing many mighty works would be the will of the Father, wouldn't it be? The will of the Father is, is, is this. In John chapter 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. These that Jesus referred to were not Christians who fell away and lost their salvation because Jesus said I never knew you I never knew you not even at one moment did I know you as my own doing the will of the father is simply to believe in the son of God Jesus all else is a product of a new life and a relationship with Jesus Christ saved by grace through faith it's fruit that matches salvation it's a life that it is enduring because of who we are in Christ. It's a work that is our reasonable service. As it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, our response to God of loving others and loving Him is because He first loved us. So the question is, what about you? What about you? I pray that you're not living that double life. You know, one moment here, you're lifting up your hands and praising God and really just saying the right things to each other. You good, bro? Yeah, I'm good, bro. How's your week? How's good, you know? Just saying the right things, going back and forth. But living differently outside of, of the church, treating your spouse in a way that would shame the Lord. Saying you love Jesus and even doing things that you believe would please Him sometimes. And at the same time, living for the flesh, for the world, doing things, saying things, thinking things that break God's heart. Know that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's, it's that shifting. It's that 180. It's not... Like, okay, I'm going to do a 180 now, and then I'm going to do another 180. That's a 360, and that's not what God wants for us to do. So 180 and stay on that path. Running from sin and running toward the arms of the Lord. On that path, that narrow path. I know it's difficult. Brothers and sisters, I know it's difficult. But with God, all things are possible. Those things that bring Him glory. By the way, that, that verse is not for our own glory. It's for God's glory, Okay? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things are possible with God. It's not to line our pockets up. It's not so that we get that new, you know, whatever, you know, shiny thing, that great big thing. You know, it's not for that. It's to glorify Him. But we can walk this life out, which I know is difficult, to God's glory, because all things truly are possible with Him. With Him. Know that God desires that you enter the narrow gate 
Walk the narrow path that leads to life. Jesus is the gate. He is the only way that leads to life in the Father. And know this. Do not be ignorant of the fact that there are forces that are opposed to this and an enemy that desires to destroy you. Be aware. Be sober-minded. Be vigilant. And at the same time, believe in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will live giving glory to Him each and every day. It won't be perfect. But it'll be a worth life living because in the end, you will have the hope of being in His presence forever. This life is brief. Jesus is teaching His disciples. And I pray that He speaks to you and He's been speaking to you this morning that you too will walk that path going through that gate and live that abundant life in Christ. Sober-minded, clear, a surrendered life unto Him. Father, we, um, we thank You, Lord, that You never give up on us. We thank You that You're a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Lord, You're always there. And, and Lord, although we may fail You, Many times, you never fail us. You are trustworthy. And you truly desire, at the point that we understand that amazing love that you have for us, that we would simply surrender, we would confess our sins to you, we would ask you to forgive us of our sins, and we would ask you to be Lord and Savior, and that we would learn from you to walk with you. Because in so doing, I know that by your Spirit, we would do unto others as we ourselves desire for others to do unto us. That we would love others with your heart and not our own. That we would simply be content with knowing that we are yours and you are ours and you are the prize that we remain fixed upon. And one day, we will see you in all of your glory, know you in your fullness, and be there for eternity. We thank you for loving us the way you do, and the way you have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.